and welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Relay FM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I'm here as always with my co-host, Jillian Parker. Hi, everyone. Hi, Quinn. Hey, Jillian. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Um, getting over that jet lag from spring break, I turned into just waking up at four every morning to get work done, which I was sort of doing before, but it was a lot harder. But now I'm on like a pattern, so it's very productive. But spring break was like two weeks ago. Yeah, I kind of just like continued it. You know, like, so I started... So instead of getting rid of your jet lag, you just embraced it. Yes. Yikes. I know. That's a little much. It is. I did go to bed at 9.45 the other day. I am very proud of you. It was kind of delightful. So we have some brief follow-up to start with today's episode because um, very important developments happened on some stories we talked about recently. One, the Republican healthcare bill failed. You know, the one that no one liked and achieved none of their goals. Surprise, that didn't work. Yeah, and it's funny because, like, Donald Trump and Paul Ryan were kind of kind of taken aback. They were well, not taken aback, but they were like, "Oh, like this didn't pass." Like blah blah blah. And it's like, did you really expect it to? Considering not a lot of not many people liked it on both sides. So I'm not really not really too phased by this. Uh, you know, with all this going on, there's a lot of people I really don't like in the current administration. But I have this very particular kind of dislike for Paul Ryan, because I feel like he could have been someone. Who, like, did good things. He had so much potential. And he is just not. He's just nothing. So He literally just doesn't accomplish anything. But anyways, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> NBD. Oh, uh, sorry. This is just supposed to be a brief mention, but I had another question. Can Have the Republicans done anything that is not just tearing down other, like, President Obama's administration yet? All they're doing is tearing down regulations and protections that he's put that he and his administration put in place like they have not succeeded in building anything well i mean i think if they want to build something they need money and so they're figuring that if we cut other things then we'll have more money to spend on building things so it's kind of a kind of they're kind of doing um a budgeting thing i feel yeah i believe that when i see it anyway uh the other thing we wanted to briefly touch upon is that tommy lauren has been permanently banned from The Blaze, uh, Glenn Beck's network. We talked about her last episode and how she was temporarily banned for talking about being pro-choice. And now she has been um, suspended until further notice, probably forever. Yeah, it was. I was actually kind of impressed that she stuck, though, to her original her original statement. She was saying that she had, like, conservative and libertarian views about certain things, and she is openly pro-choice. Well, she is now. So I think it's just kind of cool that she stuck to her original statement and didn't try to change anything about that. And also, she posted a picture on Instagram. I've stalked her Instagram. She has, like, a lot of selfies. But anyways... um, (laughs) Well, she's 24 years old. True. That's true. Um... And I think she called herself a warrior in her last one, which I was like, okay, that's cool. Um, I don't know. It was just, it was just like a very dramatic caption. Yeah, uh, she's whatever. I hope that she goes away now. <sighs> okay, getting onto the main topics of this week. Uh, first of all, just yesterday, Congress officially voted to strip um, internet privacy protections. That makes me feel so much safer at night now. Not at all. This is, I guess this is just, there's always been so much debate about 
privacy and especially now considering how advanced our technology is um essentially you i mean clearing your history doesn't really do anything anymore um once it's once you do something on a computer it's pretty much there forever um and so this only reinforces that fact yeah so the basic details of what happened are there are these protections um that were approved by the fcc just last year that were going to um prevent internet service providers from collecting your information and selling your information without your explicit permission. It also is going to require them to be more transparent about what information they were collecting from you, um, and it was going to uh, require them to uh, put more protections in place for your data. Now, other kinds of certain websites like Google and Facebook have incredible like data collection tools and they know everything about you, um, but and they don't have these same protections. So. The Republicans, including my congressman, put out a statement about this that was made me so angry. And his statement and the basic argument is that specific sites like Google and Facebook don't have these kinds of regulations on them. Um, so putting these regulations on internet service providers would be anti-competitive and um, wouldn't be fair across the market. So they want to strip all the regulations. And my question is like, okay, if you think it's anti-competitive because one kind of thing has restrictions and one doesn't, why don't you protect data across the board? But no, they just decided to strip everything. And I, it's also different because if you are really perturbed by the way that Facebook collects data, you cannot be on Facebook. But most people only have the choice between one or two broadband providers. And the internet is not a luxury item in today's day and age. Like, almost everyone needs to be on the internet in some capacity and should have the right and the ability to be on the internet, in my opinion. Basically, people don't really have a choice about how their data is being used now, and it can just be sold to the highest bidder. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it was interesting because in some of the articles that we looked at um, in the doc or whatever, I think it was AT&T that said they could start, that they had certain regulations, but you could pay like premiums or certain amounts of money to sort of like override that. So it's literally now you're paying for privacy and it's just a lot. It's yeah. a lot. Yeah. Let's, let's introduce more class-based differences in this country. That's what we need. I mean, I like money, but like the whole, I don't know. It's very smart when you think about it from an economic standpoint to like, to okay, well, if the government's going to do this and I can't control what happens in the government, then I might as well, you know, work this to my advantage for my company by charging people who do have the money to pay for this extra privacy right. But principally, and on principle, though, like this whole privacy thing is not, I am not okay with that. That should not be a thing. Yeah. And to add another aspect to this conversation that's going on right now over in the UK, they've brought up on the topic of encryption-based messaging service, like WhatsApp, Mm -hmm. which has end-to-end encryption. Because of the recent terrorist attack there, um, they were, like the government, um, like some government officials were claiming that they needed to have access to the perpetrator's phone um, and so that they could see, like, his background and his plans and see if he was connected to a larger network. which, by the way, ISIS did claim credit for that attack in mm-hmm. London, but there's no um, specific evidence. Like, ISIS claims credit for a lot of attacks, so um, we're not actually sure at this point that this person was actually involved with the Islamic State. But anyway, and so now they want to have access to his phone, and these um, and all these companies are saying, well, like, our apps are encrypted, so we can't unlock them for you, and if we 
did invite some kind of backdoor that would just weaken the system for everyone and it put everyone's data at risk, which is true. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, we should just strip all of it then. It's like, no. Yeah. I mean, they're just so there's just so much in place and just like adding to it or taking away from it necessarily won't make anything better. It'll just make everything more complicated and will cause more problems from people um, that people will have. So, I mean, obviously, ideally this would change, but right now, like being static is better than, I don't know, I think fluctuating so dramatically that it actually impacts people's privacy um, and the way, you know, companies handle these regulations. What's that really cliche quote? Like, those who would sacrifice privacy for security deserve neither or something like that Mm -hmm. i think it's i think yeah i i read that in like reference to um celebrities i think celeb um so basically the argument was um you can do you can say whatever you want about celebrities because I mean, obviously, unless you're, like, threatening to kill them. But um, you can say whatever you want about celebrities, and celebrities can't really say anything about people wanting to know about their lives because they sort of, that's what they signed up for. Which is, like, a very... That's a very different application of that term, and this is also a Benjamin Franklin quote. Oh, interesting. So, and the... What's the quote again? Um, The quote is, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And of course, now here's an NPR article about how this quote doesn't mean what we think it means. Um, And apparently it was, he actually meant purchase a little temporary safety very literally. The Penn family was trying to give a lump sum of money in exchange for the General Assembly's acknowledging that did not have the authority to tax it. Um, That's really funny. It's actually about taxation. But in this context, it is applicable to the whole idea of surveillance and privacy. This is all very starting to become very, very real. And I think the huge problem is that when people just have your information, obviously that's not good on so many different fronts, um, especially with very secure information. And like the fact that, so I worked at... Um, a healthcare firm software company thing over the summer and you we had to like all sign these contracts that we, we were going to be exposed to you know people's confidential information like credit card numbers social security numbers um and this was all like in a very legitimate work environment and everything was encrypted and we had to like sign in and sign out of the office and things like that um and so then the idea that companies can just like have this information without going through all these different um what's the word not firewalls but i don't know without these different protections is just very alarming considering it's like i don't know i think it's just creepy in a very 1984 way that like everything you do on your computer whether it's like browsing netflix or you know um learning how to do a problem on the computer learning how to do like a math problem or something that people can still have access to that and use that against you maybe in the future like they can store it they can you always come back to haunt you and I don't know I mean when I was younger my parents always said don't put anything online that you wouldn't want you know to be on the front cover of a newspaper but it's like we buy things online you know and it's just like I don't really want my credit card number splashed across the New York Times but I still want to use Amazon Prime you know yeah and that's another thing with this is like People don't think about 
what their data means to them. And they're like, oh, I have nothing to hide. Like, I'm not committing crimes or doing anything really bad online. But that's not the point here. One, just holding privacy in the first place should be a fundamental right. Um, and sacrificing any amount of that is like, it's a very slippery slope kind of problem. Mm-hmm. But also with your internet data, I mean, people can find out where you live. They can they can look at times that you were on sites and figure out when you're home and when you're not. They can see what you're buying, where you're mm-hmm. going on vacation, who your friends are, what mm-hmm. you like to do. You, you can figure out so much about a person. And the thing is like this, um, and this is the kind of thing that ad targeting does now on sites like Google and Facebook. Um, but it just expanded on a wider scale and suddenly everything you do online, everything is exposed to this kind of data. And I will say suddenly, like these are protections that were just put in place and not even really functional yet. And But that we had a chance to have these protections and now we don't, to be clear. But anyway, um, and now all this data can be sold. And every time that this stuff is being sold and transferred and collected, um, just being collected in the first place makes it more sensitive to hackers um getting your data and even when they say like oh we can anonymize it no you can't it requires surprisingly little information to really individually pick out people and if someone has access to your internet data like they can figure out who you are they just can Mm -hmm. yeah it's just it's just also very startling how number one um i'm creeped out when facebook has like ads on the corner that's like very relevant or pertinent to me because, you know, they see my internet history, they know what I like and what I don't like, so they'll, I'll see, you know, always ads for, like, different kinds of shoes and because, you know, like, I'm on DSW.com or whatever. Um, but also, so that's creepy in itself, and so imagine this on steroids to a whole new extreme. And number two, it's just crazy now how, is there really any way to be anonymous anymore? It's like, once you're born, you're permanent record is like always going to be there and it's just like especially just in regard to the internet you know like you can't do something that you consider like innocent on the internet without having you know the potential for everyone to find out Um, and even if you're not doing anything wrong it's still just creepy because you can learn a lot about a person from their internet history yeah it's just I mean data has never on the internet has never been truly private and it will continue to be not private um and the problem is we're not going in the right direction. We really need to be legalizing these kinds of protections and enforcing them because this is going to be the next battle for privacy. Like, the virtual world is the real world. We we live online in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And instead of actually giving people protections, um, we're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. It's like when I was... Growing up, oh my god, I sound so old. Back in my day, um, you know, at least for me, like, I had dial-up internet until, you know, the beginning, the early, like, 2010s or whatever. And so for me, because I had dial-up internet, it was very easy for me to, you know, separate what I did online from what I did at home because, you know, the two were very, very different, um, different worlds. Like, what I said in person actually probably wasn't that much different from what I said on, like, AIM or whatever, that instant messaging thing. Um, but now, with especially with phones and, like, with the way how Wi-Fi is literally everywhere, and it's just your life is online to some extent, um, and you can't really avoid that anymore. Even if it's, even if you're not, even if you don't post a lot on Facebook, like, it's still, you're still there, technically. Um, so it's just, 
interesting how the lines have blurred so much that it's like they've just become one world instead of virtual versus reality. Mm -hmm. So there are some options um, to protect your data, uh, including supposedly are going to be some ways to contact your internet service provider and opt out of this data collection, um, which I highly recommend everyone do as much as they can. Uh, You'll just have to contact them directly and find out how to do that. You can also get a VPN, which is Mm -hmm. a virtual private network, which are pretty much what they sound like. They're services you can use um, to like have a private network um, inside your broadband connection, basically. Also, a lot of kids use them in high schools to get around um, the sites that are blocked on the internet. Fun fact. Um, but Wait, I have a funny story about that, but continue. But you also have to be careful with those and make sure you do your research and make sure you are actually getting something that um, does help protect your data and is not just like a scam or not helpful at all. So basically, you got to do your own research on this and just find um, ways to protect your data that are most effective for you. And hopefully there are ways to do that. This is a bit of a digression, but, you know, along the same lines. Um, so back in high school, when you got scores for AP exams, they were o- they were always online. Like you found out what your scores were. But depending on where you lived, they came out at diff- they may have come out on different days. So I think one year they came out. Um, they came out in California first. And like I don't live in California. So my friend and I, my friends and I like got this app where it um it lets you surf the internet without giving like where your location is so that you can essentially just reach the website um, and have it give you your AP score be thinking that you're in California when you're not in California. And me and my friends thought we were so cool. We were like, oh yeah, going against the system. But if it was so easy for us to do that as you know, like very inexperienced 17 year olds who have no computer science background, um, it's just, scary how much you can find out or how much you can avoid, you know, doing certain things or following certain guidelines um, when you do have the experience and the knowledge. So there was a story that went viral um, on social media recently about missing black girls in Washington, D.C. because there was a specific flyer that said uh, 14 girls have gone missing in D.C., in the last 24 hours, and why isn't this a major news story? Um, And this um, flyer and this information went viral, Um, it was shared all over the place, and it raised this whole question about um, missing kids, um, and the way that missing children are racialized, and the way that, um, like, black kids aren't paid as much attention to in the media as white kids like there's Mm -hmm. like there's a very specific trope about like when white girls go missing it's like a huge deal um because they're seen as so innocent and precious um and it's a lot of racial stereotypes all tied together with that now what's weird about the story is that that initial flyer wasn't true Mm -hmm. um and there are are missing kids in dc um, interestingly enough, the number of missing children, um, in Washington, D.C. has actually gone down slightly this year, uh, but is about on par with how it usually is. Uh, I think about 500 kids have gone missing since the beginning of 2017. Mm -hmm. Um, some of them, like, uh, quite a few of them have been found or located in some way, uh, which is, of course, good, and I hope all of them are found. But it also just raises the question in general, it's like, well, okay, so this specific statistic 
was not true and it was spread um, like wildfire and that raises a lot of questions about the whole fake news debate um, and the way that people don't fact check information but also just about the way that like we aren't paying enough attention to the fact that there are missing kids in the world Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and the fact that the kids who have gone missing are in danger Mm -hmm. so shouldn't we be outraged about that all the time anyway? Yeah I would just like to also point out that this all started um, well not started but um all of this false information was compiled into a post that was put on instagram that claimed that claimed 14 girls had gone missing in washington in a 24-hour period um and then this was the post that went viral and like celebrities even posted it uh they regrammed it as so they say um sharing this inaccurate information and thus you know um dispersing this fake news even further which is Um, which is what Quinn was referring to earlier. So it does also just bring up the question of race relations and how we view... It's just weird to think that the way we view race just even applies to just, like, young kids, with even, like, um, even without us realizing. Um, And also just how much... How many missing kids there are in the United States and maybe why aren't we enraged about this all the time? Um... I think it's because, at least for me personally, I feel like if we were to take a step back and realize how much negativity and how many awful things happened in the world, like missing children, like crimes and like murder and whatnot, it it would just be very, very depressing. So I feel like the human brain as a defense mechanism tries to filter out as much as that as it can. Um, but it's still just very jarring when we actually do realize the world we live in and how dangerous everything is. That is very true, um, and that's a thing that happens constantly. Like, if we actually paid enough attention to everything that deserved enough attention, we would explode. But there is also another... There is There are questions here about the way that these issues are racialized and the way that we, like, don't let um, Black and Latinx children be children. Um, and like there's a there is a way in which like society and the media takes away their idea of their innocence um, and um, black and Latinx children are more likely to be described as adults far younger um, they're paid less attention to on a wider scale when they go missing they're much more likely to be classified as runaways mm-hmm. um, which is a weird classification um, which I I, I because it kind of implies that like they're less they're in less danger because they left willingly but i mean they're they're still in danger like they're 13 years old even if they left even if they did just run away from their home like they need to be found they can't take care of themselves safely and if they did run away like we need to address the problems in their home for why they ran away mm-hmm. um but that is that that is a way that it, it's twisted um to again like take away the idea of their innocence whereas like white children are considered you know actual kids Mm -hmm. so even the vice president at the national center for missing and exploited children um said that people dismiss runaways as innocuous um or voluntary because you know most of these runaway children are running away from a situation um so they are not classified as much as say, other children, other white children from um, more well-off homes. So they aren't, at, they aren't given, you know, that sort of victim label and thus don't 
raise alarm like Amber Alerts or media coverage, but that also just brings up the question where these situations that they're running from, whether it's abuse or neglect, is just a problem in itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. Um, and what's interesting is, is one of the reasons that this whole story has been pushed into the national spotlight is because the D.C. Police Department has been doing a very concentrated push this year towards helping find these kids, um, and as well missing persons over 65. Um, so if you're under a certain age and you're over 65, Uh, you're classified as a a critical Mm -hmm. uh, missing person. And so every time they have a critical missing person, they've been putting their picture up on social Mm -hmm. media and information about the person um, and what to do if you think you see them. So in a way, it seems like that there has been an uptick in missing people, but it actually, the number hasn't really changed very much at all. And it's just a case of them publicizing it more, Um, which is good. And they, they say that it does help them find people. And I think it's often a good thing when issues like this are pushed into the national conversation, even though it did unfortunately happen through a fake statistic, which is just always unfortunate because then that diminishes the actual value of the conversation. But we're talking about it, which is good. Mm -hmm. So not only does the story bring up questions of uh, social media's impact on what's going on in the world, as well as the very high chance that, you know, some inaccurate information is... um, dispelled, but also, you know, race relations and how we view children from um, various backgrounds. And this is just brings up a whole cultural conversation. It's impressive to see the way that social media did push this conversation into mainstream media, um, because that was kind of the whole point. I don't know exactly who made the original graphic that Mm -hmm. was incorrect. It doesn't really matter that much um, for the sake of this conversation. But the, the whole original point was, why isn't this a story? And then it got so big that it was made a story, which is kind of incredible when you take a step back and think about it. Like, people do have power. Talking about things online, um, is it as, quote-unquote, like, as effective as doing things in the three-dimensional world? Um, maybe not, but, like, it's not nothing. It does have an impact. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a start. Anyway, if this is a thing that can get maybe that department more funding for looking at missing kids or just helps them bring home a few more children because of the heightened awareness about this issue, then I think that's really good. And I do hope that they're able to bring all of the children that are currently missing home and and or into safe environments. Mm-hmm. So on a slightly more positive note, um, Iceland actually became the first country this Tuesday to introduce a new law that requires employers to prove that they're paying men and women equally. So this adju- uh, this addresses um, one of the issues that we have, not only in America, but I guess all around the world, with this gender gap between uh, men and women's salaries. Yeah, pay gap. Yep. It's complicated. Yeah, it's very complicated. Um, what's the number that they use? It's like 71 cents or 73 cents to a dollar. It's something around that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, of course, less for black women, Latino women, and Native American women. Um, but 73 cents to a dollar is the, or about something like that. It Honestly, it, it varies depending on what source you're getting it from, but that's a general number given for women on average. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like, it's an accurate statistic in that it's calculated correctly, um, logistically, but it's not very rep- representative um, because you take everyone in the United States who's working 35 or more hours a week for the full year um, for all men and for all women, and then you find the median for 
women and then you find the median for men and then you actually just um, compare that. So the ratio is a bit off in that, oh, it's, I was throwing, we were throwing around the number 7173 around, but in May of June of 2016, it was actually 78 to a dollar. Um, and so all of this just implies that, yes, the statistic has been reached accurately in that they found, like, they're, they're using the right numbers. It's just that it's not very representative of the market as a whole. Mm-hmm. So the issue is here is that they're not, um, this is comparing, like, across careers, across different hours worked, um, across different situations. And so if you break down the number, um, if you break down that number, it, it represents a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So there, there is a small amount of that um, that really isn't, that does still exist if you even out like everything you can think of, um, because there are some cases in which, because what will happen is that, um, especially like women will ask for less money in job interviews, they will ask for fewer bonuses, um, or they will just be offered less money um, when entering positions, because there are a lot of white collar positions out there where like you are, you're salary is partly based on how much money you ask for, mm-hmm. um, slash how much money you negotiate for. And, um, women are, on average across the board are less aggressive negotiators than men, mm-hmm. which is something we can come back to. Um, but then there are also other differences because of hours worked, um, and women making choices to take less, uh, strenuous jobs and work shorter hours, um, a lot of times because of having children and being expected to be the primary caregivers for their children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. As Quinn was saying, that um, the misconception is that this pay gap is because, you know, w- women and men are paid differently for the same work and women are being discriminated against. But actually, it is based on a lot of other factors because uh, the labor market actually incentivizes men and women to work differently based on, you know, the, the points that Quinn mentioned. Um, so I believe... Um, at least this one article that I was reading, a lot of this information was based on the type of work that women are pursuing. And it is because, like you said, Quinn, that um, they are usually the ones who end up taking care of the kids. So they're, the jobs that they're looking for um, have more flexible hours, but um, along with less flex, uh, no, more flexible hours, but along with more flexibility when it comes to scheduling, um, that also is correlated, you know, with lower pay because um, the people who are, you know, in top, um, top positions at companies and are bringing home a lot of the money, um, it is based on, you know, sort of this hour, not hour, not necessarily an hourly rate, but, um, on how much face time you're there. Because, you know, if you are there more and you work with more people and it just opens more opportunities and more doors for you to earn that kind of money. Mm-hmm. There's also the fact that women are much less represented and often pushed out of high paying fields like tech and finance, mm-hmm. um, which are very male dominated in the United States. And so when um, women end up being pushed out of these like high paying fields and go into um, often things that are seen as more feminine, like working in management or working in, in like public relations sides of these companies instead of the like high paying tech and engineering jobs they're getting paid less than too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this whole, so Iceland being the first country is, it, this is a very progressive thing, I think. Iceland's um, so cool. <laughs> I like, I like what you did there. Iceland is cool, but um, yeah, I mean, what do you think about this? I mean, this is definitely, okay, I want to hear what you think about this. Yeah, so Iceland is now, Iceland's had an Equal Pay Act for a little while, about half a century. 
Um, but now they're basically forcing companies to prove that they actually have equal pay um, and that they have gender parity in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Their goal is to bridge the pay gap in Iceland within five years, um, which is like way faster than um, anticipated for the global pay gap. Mm-hmm. So this is a very ambitious goal, um, although they are ahead of a lot of other countries in that already. They also only have, like, a population of 350,000 people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, of course, this is not something that would work um, on the same scale <laughs> as, you know, the United States. But I think a, it's a good place to start. <laughs> and it's good. It's a good place, to, because it is so small, a good place to look at how these policies work, mm-hmm. um, even though it's the size of, like, an American city. <laughs> but you like the idea, of course. Yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> because the stuff going on in Iceland is a lot of the stuff um, that we've already talked about where um, it's not necessarily that women are being paid less for the same work, even though that does always happen in some places, but um, it's that there's gender imbalances in certain fields where um, where female-dominated fields are tend to be paid less and male-dominated fields are paid more, so um, they're just trying to even out like the gender balances and stuff like that and making sure that they have just making sure that they're equaling the playing field as much as possible. There was a quote that I really liked from uh, Snorri Olsen, who is Iceland's custom director, which is one of the fields that they were looking at with strong gender imbalances. Um, And he said, there's a tendency to look at work usually done by men as more valuable. This is technically a discussion of equal pay, but it's really a question about equality in our society. And I think that does paint a really good picture of this whole issue because um, it's not just a question of like, are women being paid the same as men for the same work? It's like, is the work that women are doing valued the same as the work men are doing? Mm-hmm. And this also just relates to a topic that you brought up, I think a few episodes ago, where those um, were, was it on the episode where you just, was it just in conversation with me when you were talking about how um, a male and a, and a male and a female in a company like switched emails for a day or something to see how uh, how they were treated differently for a day and how like the woman got all of her stuff done but like the man was like oh this was the worst day ever um because everything I said I was signing off as a with a female name and so everybody was second guessing all my all my decisions and things like that yeah I honestly have no idea if I talked about it on the podcast or not but that was another story that went viral Mm -hmm. and we can link a story about that because it was very interesting Mm -hmm. um I don't know how I feel I mean obviously it's not a bad thing like this is not but I like a policy for equal pay is, like, you know, better than the other policies that are always um, recommended, but I think, uh, I just don't like, I just don't think the government should force companies to, like, show everything, and, you know, like, I mean, it's a private institution, like, they're gonna pay what they want to pay, and I, and I get how that's a problem, but I don't know, I don't necessarily, I don't know how much this is going to help, I mean, it might help the numbers, but I don't know how much of a cultural, impact it will have if we're forced if we're now forcing companies to pay women and men the same even though it should be a cultural shift as in we should want to pay them the same so i don't know how enforcing this is going to make progress in that sense i mean one i'm kind of into company accountability on i think it's cool that companies have to be accountable because i think too often they get to be too opaque about what they're doing um, and I do, but the thing is, I think this is one of the really big problems with the pay gap um, in the United States and other places is that people don't talk enough about what they're getting paid. There's some companies that like you can be fired for talking about what you're getting paid because they're not paying people the same, and they don't want people to find out. 
Um, so I think this kind of accountability is a good thing. And I do think that like in Iceland where there is a relatively progressive culture, um, that I think that for the most part, like there is the culture of, um, equality, but there's just not the same kind of practical push that they need to really get there. And this is that push. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think, but if like this were applied to the United States or maybe not a country, not like Iceland, that is, you know, so small, I just don't understand how pushing for equal pay would not create more resentment, if that makes sense. What do you mean by more resentment, though? Like, like who was, who I think was angry it, I, about this? <laughs> no, I think this is more in terms of, um, I guess, with, like hiring quotas, right? How if you have to hire a certain number of men, a certain number of women, and if a man is, um, if a man has, like, say, like, um, a higher GPA or more, um, a more experienced resume, um, and he is not hired in favor for a woman who is at the top of her field for, say, something, uh, for, why can't I speak English, um, say for engineering or something like that, but her stats are a little lower than the males, and then she's going to get picked over him just because she's a woman. I don't know how I feel about that. Because that's essentially what this is, right? Like, it's kind of like affirmative action. I mean, I'm kind of skeptical of that rhetoric because I think that a lot of times, um, especially in male-dominated fields like engineering in your example, women's contributions are devalued in a way and they're, they are just taken less seriously across the board. So yeah, like hiring quotas are really problematic in a lot of ways and no one wants to feel like they're the affirmative action pick or that they were picked because they're a woman or because they're black or any of these things. So then how would that help that? I'm not done my sentence. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, like we do have systematic institutional biases in our society and how are we going to correct those if we don't have some kind of institutional pushback? And that's a really hard question. Like, I admit that, like, just the idea of, like, blatant hiring quotas is maybe not the answer to that question. But we can't, like, get inside people's brains and just remove biases and, and like, manually force them to actually evaluate everyone equally and fairly. We can't ensure that everyone throughout their course of their life will not face any um, barriers because they are women, because they are a person of color, um, that will like prevent them from having like maybe the same stats on a piece of paper that a white man who did not face the same kind of systematic biases um, in a field like engineering might have. It's complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you make an excellent point though about how like it is very complicated, but how maybe that how this could be perceived as the best solution. But I'm just it's just still bizarre to me how if this is a systematic problem how are we supposed to address it like is addressing it as a system and not you know how like i don't know it's like fighting fire with fire right it's just going to create more of a problem i don't know though because i i i do see your point and like trust me like in a perfect world i would love it if we did not have to have these institutional measures but i think that at the point we live in right now we do, and we just do until we can fight back against these biases. Mm-hmm. It is a hard question, though. There's a there's a lot of nuance in that. Yeah, definitely. Ugh, why is everything so complicated, Quinn? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to take a brief moment to acknowledge that both of us saw Beauty and the Beast this week. Woo! Not together, though, unfortunately. Yeah, Julian went and saw it without me. Okay, you are not in the state. I mean... Our- 
yeah, that's fair. Actually, I was in New Hampshire. But still, you don't even like movies. Okay, that's the thing, Wait, though. That's my it... question, though. Why did you go see it? Okay, so <laughs> I feel like maybe my movie's comment could be taken to an extreme, but I, th- I don't necessarily like movies where I don't know what's going to happen. As in, I think I don't like movies is just a reflection of I don't like surprises. But I know how Beauty and the Beast ends because, you know, everyone's seeing the animated Disney cartoon. Oh my gosh. Um, and also, I would like to point out that this movie was not a movie, it was an experience, and it just gave me so many flashbacks to, you know, being seven years old again. It was so beautiful. It was so good. No spoilers for anything about Beauty and the Beast, which just, I'm so happy. I'm, I got to see it, and I'm just so happy. It was so pretty. It was everything I've ever dreamed of. Mm-hmm. I've been, and everyone was beautiful. <laughs> So you went in with high expectations. Oh, yeah. I went with the highest expectations. <laughs> I think that's saying something because I also went... I didn't go in with, like, super high expectations. Like, I knew it was going to be a baseline level of good just because, you know, the plot and, um, you know, the budget that this movie had could just make everything, you know, that much better in terms of quality, in terms of costume, things like that. But I didn't necessarily have, you know, super high... Um, a super high bar for the actual content, so I was pleasantly surprised when I actually really did like the script, because, you know, it is slightly different from um, the Disney animated cartoon. Yeah, I really like the way they fleshed it out. They they added some backstory to characters, and they added some songs, and I think it really worked the way they adapted it to live action. Mm-hmm. And also Emma Watson is flawless, so. Yeah. But we already talked about that of on course. a previous episode. It is a little sad. They do auto-tune her voice, mm-hmm. which, honestly, I would have preferred that they just dubbed her over with, um, like an actual singer so that was a little sad but you know what like everybody needs a flaw um and this movie has the auto tune flaw um i will say i so i went to see this on a date and then after it ended he looked at me and was like oh that was better than i thought it was gonna be and i was like first of all how dare you (laughs) it's okay though he liked it so we can still see each other (laughs) Ah, yes. Amazing. Oh, it was just such a good movie. I want to take a brief moment because I'm contractually obligated to talk about the LeFou thing. So, okay, sorry. Now brief spoilers for Beauty and the Beast. Um, So LeFou is um, one of the characters in the movie. He's kind of Gaston. Gaston's the main villain and LeFou is like his sidekick and he's played by Josh Gad, who is incredible and, and is like a Broadway star and played... Um, Olaf and Frozen anyway so he's a great actor and a great singer and um, so in the animated movie he's just kind of like this weird lumpy dude who follows Gaston around Um, and he was kind of like that in the live action as well but they did give him a more fleshed out character and he didn't just blindly follow Gaston everywhere Um, and they also made him gay which was very interesting there was a whole hullabaloo about this before the movie came out because right before the movie came out it came out that there was a quote-unquote exclusively gay moment in the movie and I had a lot of feelings about this. I don't like the wording of that, first of all. But yeah, continue. Exclusively gay moment. <laughs> yeah. It, it kind of makes sense once you see it, but it was very weird phrasing. Yeah, I have a lot of feelings about this. So I am bisexual, and I just have a lot of feelings about Disney and queer characters in general. So like this all combined into a perfect storm of thoughts. Um, and I was really concerned about it because like, who wants the first like explicitly queer Disney character to be someone whose name translates to the fool and is just like this random sidekick villain. Um, I think that the live action movie pulled this off better than I feared. Mm -hmm. It was very subtle. um, 
and he kind of got a happy ending, Mm -hmm. which was cool. That never happens for queer characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I still think he was not the right choice for this, and I wish that they had maybe done it with another character, but I think the way they did it worked well. So Mm -hmm. that's my basic thoughts about that obligatory Mm-hmm. queer commentary yeah it was very subtle um and as quinn said before like the they did give more backstories to all the characters and so him as like i feel like him in the um beauty and the beast animated film was like a very static character and he was just you know like the sidekick like whatever didn't really have his own opinions or thoughts or anything but in the movie he definitely had more depth which i thought was super cool yeah yeah if they if he was the same character that he was in the animated movie and they did this it would have been awful but they they actually made him like a real person which worked a lot better Mm -hmm. definitely um, also, in terms of what's going on in the entertainment industry, uh, Quinn and I just talked about Beauty and the Beast, which is aggressively amazing. Um, but I just wanted to talk about very, very briefly the Chainsmokers, who are objectively aggressively mediocre in terms of <laughs> that's Quinn's <laughs> Quinn's quote over here. Yeah. Um, in terms of the actual quality of each of their songs. Yeah. So this is the thing: is the music industry just loves to reward like mediocre people and mediocre music as long as it's catchy. And as long as, yeah, it's very, very catchy, extremely auto-tuned. Like, have you, have you ever heard them perform live? They're awful. They're, they're awful. Uh, I'm so salty about this. Earlier this year on campus, there was this huge debate about the Chainsmokers versus Carly Rae Jepsen. I don't know why those two artists got pitted against each other, but it kind of was like everyone took sides. And I was like, how is anyone picking the Chainsmokers? Like, they're not, they're so mediocre. Carly Rae Jepsen is incredible. Her music is so good. And she's actually a good live performer. Yeah, but the thing I th- I think what the general majority opinion was that everyone knows Carly Rae Jepsen for one song, and that's Call Me Maybe. And the Chainsmokers are known for like 10 songs, like Closer, Don't Let Me Down, um, and all of these other mediocre songs. Really? Name another. Name a third song. Um, the one about Paris, uh, something <laughs> like this, The One. I could go on. <laughs> See, the thing is, that, so I'm a Carly Rae Jepsen fan um, ever since the album Emotion came out, which is fantastic, and everyone should listen to it. And I know every word to every song and emotion because I got an argument with our other roommate Ozra about this and she was like um and I was like name three Chainsmokers songs and she could barely do it and then she was like name three Carly Rae Jepsen songs I just started listing them and she was like oh (laughs) (laughs) yikes but anyway don't mean to drag the internet into this like weird campus flame war but yeah I just the Chainsmokers I there will always be people that I'm not like huge fans of who are famous and popular and that's fine they also just seem like not great people which is kind of disappointing anyway I just I, re- I really enjoy like just loving what you love and being passionate about what you're passionate rather than tearing um other things down but I had to defend Carly Rae Jepsen in this particular debate mm-hmm. yeah that's fair um is it just the two of them or the three how many people are in the Chainsmokers I really don't know I think there are two of them I know that it's more than one, otherwise it can be the chain smoker, but, um... <laughs> that sounds much more depressing in a way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, misery loves company. Yes. But I think it was, I think it might be, like, 303, where there's only two people. 303 only had two people in it? Yeah, or at least their music videos, it was all, the, it was just two people in it. That's so disappointing. Yeah. Why was it 303, then? Everybody tell us whether you like Carly Rae Jepsen or the Chainsmokers better, and... 
Especially tell us if you pick Carly, because I want to prove a point to my roommates. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mia, I'm on Azra's team over here with the Chainsmokers. Uh. Yeah. Can I admit that Carly Rae Jepsen is more talented than the Chainsmokers? Yes, obviously. But would I rather listen to her songs or the Chainsmokers songs for the rest of my life? Probably the Chainsmokers. Guys, I'm just going to start playing the Emotion album when you're around until all of you know all the songs. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's not paternalistic at all. Okay, and on that note, <laughs> um, thank you all for listening today. You can find us on Twitter at MixedFeelingsFM, where you can tweet at us or send us a DM. You can find us at Relay.FM slash MixedFeelings, where there is a form to contact us or in the iTunes store, where it would be awesome if you left us a review. You can find me on Twitter at AspiringRobotFM. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. Thanks for talking with me, Jillian. Oh, thanks for talking with me, Quinn. Always a pleasure. I'm Quinn Rose. I'm Jillian Parker. And these were our mixed feelings.